because Sasha Baron Cohen is a really good example of people misunderstanding the joke, right? The shock, yes. the, the funny is not the shock. The funny is actually that the world is this fucking crazy. Yeah. That, that is what is funny about it. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Walk Show podcast, where we explore the walk of life. This is your host, Walker Near. This week, we are joined by Anthony Janot, who's been performing stand-up comedy around the world for the last decade. Anthony has a stand-up comedy album titled Anthony Janot Stand-Up Comedy Album, which is available on major streaming platforms. He's also the host of the podcast Highbrow Drivel. Anthony is absolutely hilarious, and I really enjoyed our conversation, so let's hop to it. Of course, I also want to thank Misha Zarens for the music of today's show. Welcome to the Walk Show podcast. Anthony Janot, thank you so much for joining. How are you doing today, man? Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be talking to you. Yeah, man. Well, I'm super excited to have you here. Um, so you've you've been a professional stand-up comedian now for at, at least 10 years. Is that is that right? Um, I would say my performing journey. <laughs> I've, I've almost never been a professional. It's still arguable that I am now, I think. But I, I, I did my first gig like, 10 years ago and comedy particularly back home in Australia I, I think a little bit worldwide but in Australia definitely you have this thing where um there are so many people who want to be comedians there are so many people who are really fucking funny you know and then Australia is a population of 22 million and it's spread so far so you've probably got like two of those people can actually make a living out of it you know what I mean um <laughs> So yeah, it's it's weird. Like I remember when I started comedy ten years ago, um, Ronnie Cheng, who is you know doing Marvel movies and and stuff like that, him and I, I think started roughly around the same time. We had competitions in our first year. He won one of them. I won one of them. This other dude who quit won one of them. And as you can see, Ronnie went to the US to make it. I um self-released my own album before <laughs> moving to the the uk and uh the other guy genuinely quit so it is um it is a hard thing to try and do professionally in australia that's fair i mean that being said though you uh, i do think that there is um i mean i was joking about it very briefly before we started recording you know i used to MC a comedy show and have done open mics and stuff and, and then took about 10 years off and came back and and actually emceed another open mic show, but like, I'm not a comic, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it, it's generous and humble of you to downplay your own work, but I mean, you've performed sold out shows, like people yeah. have paid money to see you. So you're not, you, yeah. there's a distinction between you and I at the very least. <laughs> no, yeah, and that, <laughs> that is a distinction I will happily accept. <laughs> I am not too modest to accept that. It is, it is one of those things where like, when, when people are like, oh, you can't, like, you've got your own album and you, you've got all these great reviews and da, da, da. And, and I have to be like, yeah, but it, it doesn't pay. <laughs> it feels yeah. like it's, it's not a profession 
yet-ish. Um, but then on the other hand, if people are like, yeah, but I got a joke for you. I'm like, no, 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 no. I've done this for 10 years. Oh, I'm going to be okay, mate. Um, that's Yeah. And that's why I said at the beginning when I mentioned that, like, I'm not like trying to be on your level or think that we're like old chums now because I've been through it as well. And, and, I, and I say that and it's something I always, you know, people will, friends of mine and stuff will bring that up. And, and I'm one of those guys that's like funny in my social group with my friends. Right. But again, that's very different than being a professional comic. And I, I feel like, especially with the, the, I don't know, for lack of a better term, the internet age, people are, are made into celebrities overnight in a, a wide variety of things, but stand up still seems to be a unique field in the entertainment space where I don't know that it can be shortcut. I mean, I don't know that you can just have a viral moment, right? Because it's just, harder than that <laughs> like <laughs> that's such a good point and that is so on the money and i'm not gonna get into why it takes people so long to be good at comedy because the truth is it's fucking boring like you don't want to know how to dissect the frog because or how the burger is made because it ruins it it's not funny and it's one of those things people invite you to stuff and they're like talk about being a comedian and then i'm there and it's like really quite academic and they're like oh that wasn't funny no the actual making things funny is not the funny bit you know it's boring as fuck trying to be funny um so it is a weird thing in terms of like no viral moment i think what the internet has done is given like youtubers um and people who have other creative platforms the ability to build a critical mass audience that then it doesn't even matter if they're not funny because they're performing to fans. And I think if you get 500 people who are just psyched to see you, it's not, you're not proving shit to them, then they're going to laugh because they've invested before they walk in the door. They're probably drunk as fuck. This is their night and they're going to make it work. And it is one of those weird things in terms of like, you know, even when I went back home last time, it was kind of, I guess one of the first times I performed a sold out show that wasn't mainly my friends and family and was sold out without me having to fire people and get them in. So it was people who knew what they were getting when they <laughs> the name on the ticket. Do you know what right. I mean? And you do get a weird different sensation of like your, my, my like, years of habit almost had to be like, no, no, no. You don't have to try so hard to find this funny. I've got jokes. Wait for the jokes. Don't laugh before I get to the good bit, you fuckers. I want to earn it. Right, right. No, that's fair. I mean, I think Dane Cook, he was kind of maybe, I mean, maybe proves my point wrong because that's kind of what his rise to stardom was back in the 2000s was like he built this MySpace following and then had this huge bombastic, but it was also short-lived, right? Like I don't think in the, the history books of comedy, Dane Cook is looked at as like one no. of the all-time greats, even though financially he was rewarded as one. <laughs> so, but, but I think that is that is increasingly what we're seeing is mm. people who kind of find a way to make a lot of money in a short, or a lot of money in, in comedy terms in a short amount of time. How sustainable that is is is. But but then also, I think there are some of those. I don't want to sound like I'm the guy who's shitting on YouTubers because I'm not doing it. That's like there are some people who will take that head start and run with it and become 
a fantastic comic and they can still have a great career. It's not like you started on YouTube, you're dead to me. It's just that, right. you know, you know, some of them will learn the skills and others by very nature of what I was saying, by not being made work, actually never learn to be funny. And then the, the online audience kind of stop paying to come see you. And then all of a sudden you have to learn how to be funny to people who aren't invested. And that's a different skill. It's a completely different thing to, to walk out to a room of people who are sitting there going, all right, you might be shit, you might not. Make me laugh, dickhead. Like, it's a completely different skill. <laughs> that's very fair. That's very fair. Um, so, I mean, growing up, is your are your parents funny? Are your siblings funny? I don't know if you have siblings, but like, how did you how did you get funny? <laughs> it's a good question, and I think it's 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 funny that you ask. Are your parents funny? Because as a kid, I would have said no, absolutely not. They're my parents, but actually, they've got a they've got a thing or two about them. They've got they've got jokes. Um, <laughs> it just took me growing up to get it. So right, uh, I, I think so. My parents also loved comedy. So I, I I kind of, two kind of stereotypical things is, one is that my parents had like a bunch of comedy videos, VCRs, because I'm that age. Um, and, you know, playing hooky from school, found the Eddie Murphy VCRs, was like, oh my God, I didn't know this was a thing you could do. Just get people in a room and just talk to them and they can't talk back. Like I was blown away by that. Um, and then similar to that, I was, I, I grew up in quite a, a, a low socioeconomic area. I was, I guess one of those kids who um, was good enough at school that it wasn't like I was a straight A student, but I didn't have to try very hard to be a B student. Do you know what I mean? And so I was, I was kind of always bored at school and so I took it to on upon myself to entertain myself by making everyone else laugh um and then I, I increasingly I've realized so late in life I got diagnosed with social anxiety and increasingly I've realized that actually one of the developments of my sense of humor has been like you know things that make me uncomfortable or make me a bit nervous or a bit like anxious because I'm a social person and I don't want people to not like me, I don't say, hey, I'm feeling really nervous about blah. But what I will do is hide that statement in a joke that means I've expressed it for myself, but they're all like, ah, ha, ha, you're so funny. But really in my head, I'm like, no, but that's true. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. Um, so, I mean, I, 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 certainly we can go any direction you want, but I am actually curious, like, you know, I remember a long time ago, this was like 2003, maybe it came out, um, but it's a, a documentary, I guess you would call it, but it, it's with Seinfeld called The Comedian. Uh, and yeah. are you familiar? Uh, Ani, Oni, the, yeah, that yeah. one? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, yeah, that guy, I mean, that guy's like, I mean, his career went a different direction, and but I really didn't care that much about him or his part in it. Like, I was really fascinated by Seinfeld because here's this megastar at that time that's like, again, kind of, kind of the point I was making earlier, showing that like, you know, look, if you're going to write an hour of comedy, like it just takes work. Like you got to go to the club, you got to work the five minutes, you got to work to 10 minutes. And, and, and it just showed that there is no shortcut to it. Um, so I guess just, it, you know, you mentioned the Eddie Murphy video, but 
is there anything was that the thing that kind of was your first like special that you were attached to was there something like the comedian that inspired you like where no no it was definitely like in terms of like that being a thing like opening my eyes to the possibility it was definitely eddie murphy delirious was just like because i've never seen stand up before and Mm -hmm. so that was it was like magic to me and then i think what happened was um there were a couple of good like comedy news panel shows that were on tv that i liked and some of the stars of them came to the comedy festival we have quite a big comedy festival in melbourne so from like early teenage years i was going to the festival and I would say at no point in this time am I thinking, oh, I'm going to go and do this one day. Um, and then I, I, I was just curious as to like, what would it take if I did want to, what would it take? And so I started going to, as, as you mentioned a bit earlier, the open mics, which is, you know, the only way you can start doing comedy is by doing the open mics. So I started going to them. And to be honest, actually, the standard of open mic comedy, I guess it particularly maybe in a city like Melbourne where everybody from Australia who wants to be a comedian comes to Melbourne because we've got the big festival, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there aren't that many gigs. So the standard of open mic comedy is actually really quite high because there's just a lot of people who can't get gigs. And mm-hmm. so for ages when I was watching it, I was blown away that these people who would then talk to you at the bar were that good at comedy. I was like, oh my God. God, like, you're that funny and then you're just here and you're a nobody and I thought that was crazy um, but then eventually so what finally inspired me to do it is the exact opposite of most people most people see somebody who's so good that you go fuck I need to be exactly like that but I was the opposite I'd seen so many good people I loved comedy I, and then I saw somebody who was so bad that I was like, well, if they get to do it, there is no reason that I should not, because no matter how bad I am, I'm not that guy. <laughs> yeah, I'm I am the worst audience member at open mics because I some people think that like my sense of humor have described it as like shock value, and it's not really shock value, it's really irreverence. Like, yes. like yes. Sasha Baron Cohen. I mean genius, right? Yeah. Because he's yeah. but it, it's not the shock value of it, it's He's so irreverently. He just doesn't give a damn. Yes, <laughs> and yes. I love how offended people are by that. <laughs> yeah, and it is also, it is just, because Sasha Baron Cohen is a really good example of people misunderstanding the joke, right? The shock, yes. the, the funny is not the shock. The funny is actually that the world is this fucking crazy. Yeah. That, that is what is funny about it. And he, he goes into this weird and ridiculous place that if the world made sense, he wouldn't get away with that. But it doesn't, so he does, and that is funny. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. But yeah, like, if I'm at an open mic night and someone just completely bombs, uh, I laugh. Like, I yes. think it's because it's funny. Like, it's so yes. uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> like, it's just funny. And then I feel terrible because I'm not making fun of them. It's not like, <laughs> oh, you loser. It's just like, dude, the fact that your joke sucked is actually come full circle to be funny again because there's a room full of motherfuckers that wanted you to make them laugh and you did it <laughs> and you did it and now i will honor that because it's funny again yeah and also beyond a room full of people who want you to make them laugh you thought this was gonna work in your head, 
this was good and we're both finding out together that it's not and that is funny (laughs) and that is the beautiful majesty and cruelty of comedy right is that and, and and i say this as somebody like when i'm writing new jokes this is i mean it's unadvisable if you ever want to do comedy don't write jokes like this but <laughs> i really struggle to be funny when i'm writing stuff down i, I get really sterile and I, I write things like joke books so what i've come to terms with is that for me to write my best jokes what i have to do is have the idea of what i think's funny the story i want to tell the the here's the topic and here's roughly what I think is funny about it but there's no punchline yet I just know why I think it's funny and I could explain to you why these two things link and are funny but actually to get to the joke what I do is book in an open mic and I start telling the joke and I hope that I panic myself into a punchline so (laughs) until I get to the end of that sentence Neither of us know where the fuck this is going, and a lot of the times it's going nowhere, and I'm sorry. Right, yeah. But, you know, I hear, um, like, Nate Bergazzi's a pretty famous comedian at this point, and he has a, a podcast I was listening to, and he was talking about, you know, being in New York, and Chris Rock will just show up at the Comedy Cellar or whatever with a notepad, and he just gets on stage for two hours and just basically yeah. does what you're describing, right? Like, yes. But we all see the finished hour special or whatever, and it looks like he's this genius that, if you didn't know better, you'd believe that maybe he was just coming off the top of his head on that stage. But it's like, no, no, no. (laughs) There's thousands of hours probably going into, into this. Yeah. I was kind of looking through your, your podcast, uh, highbrow drivel is, is your podcast. And one of the episodes you had recently, I, I saw the topic was, was cancel culture. And it, it's a, it's a topic that I'm so like frustrated is probably the right word because like you said this on your comedy album and I'm, I'm not going to try and do one of your jokes or something and butcher it. People <laughs> should go listen to the comedy album, but you, you made some com- some, one of the offhanded comments was about like, like, basically like well but fuck bigots right i mean somewhere in the, and that's me a hundred percent like i i hate bigotry right but like cancel culture has gone to this place where it's like way too politically correct and if you cross that line now you're in the bigot camp and it's like no 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 like i'm not in the bigot camp like i don't like bigots like i yeah, still yeah, yeah as much as i don't like woke culture i still hate white nationalism more right so yeah, yeah, i'm yeah. still on the right side of things <laughs> yeah 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 do you know do you know what it, it is it is such a complicated one um and it is just it is the case of 
the spokespeople for the ideas are the people who should shut the fuck up. In in terms of the people cancelling people are the they're they're not the right spokespeople for those ideas, and that that's the problem, right? Yeah. Um, and I find it I find it really difficult because in general, as as I said on the album, like I, I don't like bigotry. I, I think people yeah. should be able to do whatever they want. It shouldn't be a controversial state, statement. I shouldn't be getting a pack on the back. Oh, you don't <laughs> like bigotry? I don't like bigotry either. We should be friends. How good are we? Like, no, like it's just, it should be a normal thing, right? Right. But the difficulty is that so many of the people who, who talk about uh, fucking PC cancel culture uh, are people who their problem with it is bigots. And so it gets very hard to say, I don't like it because then all of a sudden people are like, yeah, but the last time somebody did that, then they turned out and put out a Ku Klux Klan hood. So why should we believe you're any different, right? right. It gets so hard when you have a conversation like that without nuance. So, it, and, and, and so what, what, what ends up happening is that you have lots of people being canceled for shit they should lots of people being canceled for shit they shouldn't nothing changes of any meaning and we all sit here angry at each other which is stupid um what i what i do find funny about the argument about cancel culture though is like tucker carlson is a thing you know yeah. if cancel culture was real he's not a thing anymore like <laughs> it, it, the problem with cancel culture and this is again from both sides is that the people who you're effectively cancelling are the people who nobody gave a shit about anyway so you've achieved nothing <laughs> you stopped some fuckhead with a blog reaching 14 people good on you <laughs> yeah that's fair that's fair and yeah I, I i'm i'm right there with you where it's not that i think like i'm all for speaking out against injustice and bigotry and, and all of that stuff so i'm not even trying to take an anti-cancel culture stance or anything as much as that, that's why I say it's kind of frustrating because the word you use nuance, it's like, it's not just binary, but, but anyway, my point wasn't even to try and debate cancer culture or something. It was just, to, it was just to get to the question of, do you feel though, like it's like your, your comedy is censored at all by the climate that we're in? I've personally never felt that I've censored a couple jokes of my own because I was uncomfortable with the way I felt the audience. So I, I can't tell the joke. It didn't make the album, but it was in Edinburgh. Um, but I had a joke about a racist girlfriend and I stand by the, the, the joke. I've told the joke for years and years and years. I did it one night and in telling the joke, I repeated some racist words that my ex-girlfriend said. Right. And, and I'd told the joke for a long time, but then one of the nights I told it, people who were the target of the joke were in the audience and they left when I said her words before I got to the punchline. And so I, I took that out. Not, I had reviewers in that night, so I was fucking petrified. That, you know, yeah. it was my first night of my first Edinburgh run. I was petrified that I was going to just get this review about how bad I was and how racist and inconsiderate and da, da, da. The review was fine. Again, so cancer culture is, because right. it happens in the context of an hour show where people get to know you they know where you're coming from. You, it's not as bad on stage as people will have you believe, I think. But I didn't like the way that made me feel, so I took it out myself, right? Um, I have jokes that, I mean, one of my favorite jokes is a joke about generational inequality, but the punchline is kind of about pedophilia. Um, and it's not that I find that subject matter funny, 
Right. I have to tell the joke because otherwise people are going to be like, this fucking QAnon. I realized after I said that, that I need to contextualize it. So the joke is that um, I, I, I'm very jealous that our parents got to have a midlife crisis because we don't, we don't get to have that. We call it an existential crisis. And as far as I can tell, you can have one of them every four minutes. And a midlife crisis is beautiful because it has a perfect hero's narrative. You meet a character, you fall in love with them, they doubt themselves, they buy a Porsche, they fuck somebody half their age, and then they come out of it with a newfound love of who they were in the beginning. But I had my first existential crisis at 14. That's a very different experience. I can't afford a Porsche. I certainly can't fuck somebody half my age. <laughs> yes. So, so in the context of <laughs> the, the, the idea that some people have of comedy, that joke should not exist because of it, it treads the line close to uh, something that people are very sensitive about, right? But actually, you can get away with it. You just can't. You can't be dumb about it. You just have to like. Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I mean, to be clear, I, I also, you know, when I say, like, does cancel culture censor someone, I don't mean, like, did you really want to say the N-word, but now you don't feel like it's safe? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, of course, of that's course. not what I mean. Like, of course, yeah. you shouldn't, you know, that wouldn't be appropriate anyway. But, like, that is, I'm really glad that you did tell the joke, because that is one of the jokes on the on the album, um, which I, I enjoyed there as well. And it's, you're not making, it's a joke to your point, like that subject is obviously tied to the punchline, but you're not really like making light of that topic at large or something. You know what I mean? Like there's fewer nuance, there's nuance to it. Yeah. And I think that's the, I think that's kind of the part of the point, right? Is that I think on stage, at least as far as I've experienced, unless I am, making jokes that are hurtful to people in which I, I would hope I've not done. And right. uh, th- then then people are fine. I think anytime I've seen a comedian get told you can't tell that joke or you shouldn't tell that joke, it has been because either it was a shit joke. Sometimes it's a shit joke. Like if I had butchered the joke I just told and told it in a different way, people would be like, you can't tell that joke. No, and, 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 in, I think even in their head, they wouldn't know why. And probably somewhere there is a mental math where they go, that subject is too sensitive for you to be unfunny about it, right? They don't want you to talk about it unless there's a point to it. Right. Um, and, and so I think sometimes people mistake it for just your jokes are shit. And particularly with new comics, you get them getting up on stage and telling fucking shit jokes and then going PC people. No, you're just not funny, fuckhead. Like, yes. for some people, that's the thing, right? Wow. Um, but it is hard. Like, I, I I, do think, like, I wouldn't want to be, and it's like, I guess I'm lucky. I wouldn't want to be an Anthony Jeselnik-style comedy, comedian today because I think if you don't have the audience, if you don't have the chops, maybe people don't want to listen to you say that thing as much anymore because they're sensitive and they don't want to be, they don't want to be the people laughing at the wrong thing. Um, maybe. Right. So I think there is a particular niche of comedy that is harder. I'm just lucky. It's not mine. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. I think, um, I think, you know, Dave Chappelle came out in 2019 with sticks and stones, 
um, which some people didn't like because it was so uh, flamboyant in its (laughs) crassness and in its attacking of all things PC. But I actually loved it because of that. Like, because I, I feel like it's in this climate that we're in now where everything is not just sensitive, but just polarizing. Um, I think the comedy offers a unique avenue to attack those ideas. And when I say attack, attack isn't even really the right word, but just to discuss those things and to, to make light of it. And, yeah. and it, I don't know. I just, I thought Chappelle was brilliant in. Yeah, in, in, he absolutely was. And I think there's two or three cool and maybe in some way contradictory things, but they're all cool. One is that, Chappelle is one of those guys who has just nothing to prove to anybody. He is comedically as good as there's been and so can do whatever the fuck he wants. And that gives him the freedom to do that again in a way that maybe you wouldn't want to be a young Chappelle. Like I I wouldn't (laughs) want to be trying to do the comedy that he does now. I think think he's lucky. Like he's in a great place that he's built an audience. At the same time, it was one of the biggest albums of that year. So it's not like there's, it's not like there's not an audience for you. It, you can say it. You just have to be as good as Chappelle, which is hard. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, yeah, then, yeah. and then the other weird thing is like, often what, I, what I've said to people in, when talking about things like this is like, oh, you can, um, you can say whatever you want. You just have to like pick your audience because there are, right-wing comedians like there are comedians who that's their big selling point right in in the uk there are people making fucking fat money performing to like ukip which is i guess the the equivalent of the tea party over there um like they they perform gigs for them and that's their that's their usp that's how they're paying the bills is by being a racist for money um And it's horrific, but it's true, right? There is an audience for that. And so you can't say, oh, PC comedy has locked me out when you are you are make, clearly making your money. No one's stopping you from having a career saying what you want. What you can't do is be a racist for money at a UKIP rally and then expect a mixed race, like m- m- nice audience to then go, Oh yeah, we also find this funny. No, you picked your fucking line right. and make your money there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know how prevalent it is here. I mean, the version of that here that I would think of that was really successful would have been like the blue collar comedy tour. It was like Jeff Foxworthy and Ron White and those guys. But there they weren't really playing to politics at all. It was more just like kind of a more um I, I, this is probably offensive, but like a a more country, uh, less like urban a working, lifestyle, a working class crowd, right? Yeah, but but not work. But like, if you live in New York City and you, uh, even if you're a, a bus boy, like it still probably doesn't resonate, right? Because okay, it's still yeah, yeah, you need yeah. to be from somewhere where you there's yellow flashing stoplights and that sort of stuff. Too. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. <laughs> so you know, you talked earlier kind of about how with writing it feels whenever you try and write your jokes, it feels a little sterile. And I've experienced the same thing in trying to write for the podcast. Even I just don't write like I talk when I write, I, I, I get a lot more heady and like think I sound or at least try and sound 
smarter than I do when I just speak out loud. 100%. <laughs> so it's not natural at all. But so, I mean, what is your, your process? Are you carrying a notepad around and jotting things down? You just, it's all in your head and that's it? Like, how do you, how do you actually go about that? So I have my phone and something makes me laugh and I will put a reminder of what made me laugh, right? Mm. So it might be, like at the moment, because I had the fucking cruel thing of I released the album and when I released the album, I said, okay, I'm never performing any of those jokes again. As it turns out, that has been true because I released the album in like May 2020 and I've not performed any jokes since then. <laughs> um, but so I, I, I have the phone and like at the moment I'm trying to think because we're at a point where soon in the next couple months, gigs will be back. And so I'm like, fuck, what am I going to talk about? And so the most recent thing that made me laugh was I, I do the joke about the doomsday prepper on the album. Yeah. Um, and the most recent thing that made me laugh is since the last time I performed, that was like my big showstopper bit. And then in the last 12 months, all of a sudden, she's not the idiot of that joke. I am. And I think that's <laughs> funny, right? Yeah. And so literally, I will write down something like, you're the idiot of the doomsday prepper. And that, that's it. It's a sentence to remind me. And so that's what I know. Exactly how I described it to you. That is what I know is funny. I don't know how I'm going to package that. So I'll get on stage and I'll literally start talking about it. I'll say, hey, I've got this joke. Da -da -da -da. I'll give them enough info. Hopefully, if it's good, if I'm on my game, I'll find a way to, to throw a punchline in. And I'll keep talking until I... If I don't get to the punchline, I will keep talking until an inch of when I know oh, they're about to, I'm about to lose them. And then at that point then there's like stage craft that you can do to pull them back in then you give them a couple good jokes and i'm depending on how fucking bad it goes i may not try another new joke that night you know um, <laughs> more crowd management than, than joke writing but so that is the process though i roughly i have an idea that i find funny and i can explain the idea in a way that if i just say the sentence People who have a good imagination will go, ah, oh, I can see how that's funny because they're kind of putting the joke together themselves. But then obviously comedy audiences are lazy fuckers. So you have to package it up a lot neater than I mm -hmm. did to you. And so I get on stage and try and figure out what that packaging is. Right, right. Now that makes sense. What is your, what's your, and obviously we have to talk pre-COVID because as you just said, there is no, no one has a life once COVID starts. But prior to that, I mean, are you, are you on the road week over week doing shows? Um, what, what does that work life look like for, for you? Yeah, it, it's interesting because it's evolved quite a bit, right? I moved to the UK to see um, what like life on the road was like. And what I found was it's grim. Um, you, yeah. you, you, like you, you make enough money 
to pay the bills, but it's modest. It's very modest. Yeah. Um, and you're working nights. And so it's hard to like have friends outside of comedy. And often you are like, you leave the city at 5 PM, you get back at after midnight, it's your whole night gone. Right. Um, and so I, I came over to explore like what would life as a professional comedian look like. And then I quickly kind of decided that actually I will work my day job and perform in London where I'm not getting paid. It's a lot more competitive, but I get to balance having my wife and getting to see her and having a lot more control over my life because it's not like if I don't go and do this gig, then I can't pay the bills. Um, and so I, I, I will and have been focusing on, on the festivals. I'll, I'll write hmm. my hour. I'll, I'll, so I'll use the London gigs to, to do all of the stage testing, the, the, um, the material and making sure I'm getting the, the chops in and getting the time in on stage to, to make that sure that show is good. But that's, that's my focus is the, the festivals, um, where, I mean, it's, it's Melbourne international comedy festival right now. And, um, it's actually happening because Australia fucking got away with it. Those cheeky pricks. <laughs> um, and so it's been the, it has been the, I, I'm saying this with what, way more joy than is truly in my heart. It has been the roughest fucking week because it's winter and it's yeah. grim and it's in lockdown here. And then over there, my favorite time of the year and it's sunny and all my friends are in bars, fucking open mouth kissing just because they can. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, I, I will focus on the festivals because I do think there is genuinely nothing quite like performing at the festivals. I, and so I, I almost am motivated now by I need to write a fucking hour because I want to be involved in that. Otherwise, I'm just a fan. Right, right. Well, so I mean, yeah, I had never really even because I've never really been to a comedy festival. I mean, I'm loosely familiar with them. But what is the energy of that like versus a, a, a comedy club kind of crowd? And, and I say that just because a comedy club crowd is there for, you know, a, a night for maybe a couple hours if there's a few comics. Yeah. So it seems like they would be more like ready, whereas at a festival, it seems like it could be harder because, I mean, they're potentially there all day and like, well, I mean, you're funny, but six hours ago, I saw a guy who was, you know what I mean? Like, nah, so, so festivals, um, generally people will go see one show a night for the festival and, and it'll be an, and, and usually it's a solo show. So it's you for an hour. So that's, that's how I wrote my album, uh, our, uh, album was doing the hour at festivals. Um, and what, what you'll have is over the course of, about a month, just all the performers flock to that city and they're all doing their shows. And so then the audiences kind of follow them. Um, and and the, the two festivals that I've done uh, being Edinburgh and Melbourne have very different energies. Melbourne is a comedy only festival. There's like, it's a smaller city, smaller audience. There's maybe 600 performers and you do your show night after night for an hour. Then there's a bunch of late night shows. So often people will see a show and then go see a late night show or whatever. And so you do guests on other people's things. And then every, cause all the performers are there. It's kind of like a trade show, right? You do your show, you sell your things and then you go out and you all hang out and you, it's like, 
it's like everybody coming home for Christmas, you know, like you're all yeah. in the one spot having a drink. It just lasts for a month. It is. Um, and then like you get your performance pass so you can go in and see everybody else's shows so long as it's not sold out. So you go see everybody else's hour for free. You check up on people you haven't seen. Um, you'll meet headliners and heroes and, you know, um, end up dancing with Tom Green <laughs> or, or, you know, <laughs> buying pills off people from TV who I cannot say because it's not fair, but, you know, <laughs> it, it's just a wild, wild time. Um, and then Edinburgh Fringe is a complete, it is the biggest performing arts festival in the world. And they get like 5,000 performers in the city wow. for the month. Um, and it's not just comedians. There's you know, the first time I went to Edinburgh Fringe, the room next door to me were a fucking a cappella group who practiced. I'd get home from my, like, at 2 a.m. and they'd all be, like, up drinking, practicing their stupid fucking a cappella. <laughs> I hated it. Um, and, like, you know, Edinburgh Fringe, because it's so much more competitive, there's a lot more free shows. So people will just come into anything and be like, well, what is this? I I had once, uh, I was in like a 25-seater room and every single person in that show, because it's a free show, so it's whoever lines up first gets in first, everybody was a Bucks party. And you've you've heard the show. It's not a, it's it's I, it's a show that I like and I love, but it, I, I couldn't perform that show to them. It was like, that was one of those nights where it's like, okay, this is about my improv chops. It's not about me telling the story that I wanted. Um, but Edinburgh Fringe is like, it's so weird because you'll be handing out flyers. As a comedian, you realize of the performing arts, you have the least explainable talent to people because right. like you're out there trying to hand out your flyers. Come see my comedy show. It's really good. It's about this. You know, maybe you can be a bit charming, a bit funny. And then across the road from you, there's a magician who sets himself on fire and then turns himself into the flyers. And you're like, yeah, but nah, I'm going to talk to you for a bit. It'll be good, I promise. <laughs> yeah, no, that's very fair. That's very fair. Um, but I think, I mean, again, I, I think you're absolutely right. That's I never really thought of that, that, that it's hard to convey the skill of a comedian. But, and it's funny because like if someone can play piano and maybe I don't want to listen to classical music, I would still probably be like, well, I mean, I'm not going to put that on in my house, but yeah, I mean, they're clearly a talented piano player. Or if someone plays the guitar in some fancy way, it's like, oh, well, maybe that's not a song that resonates with me, but I can tell that they are talented. Who is a comedian? It is a million percent whether or not they liked it. No one is like, well, I mean, it was really well put together. I mean, I didn't think it was funny, but he's got something going. Like, no, it's purely, did they think it was funny or not? They don't give a fuck about how well-crafted it was other than the outcome. It's purely outcome driven. Oh, a hundred percent. And even to the point where like, I've <laughs> been with friends as an audience member at comedy shows where it's like a 5,000 seater and every, like enough people are laughing that it's quite clearly a good show. And the people I was with walked out and said, that was not funny. Well, no, it was clearly funny because there was like 4,000 out of 5,000 people laughing. It was funny. You just didn't like it. That's completely different to it being not funny. And then with the music as well, it's like, it's one of the cruel things about comedy as a performance art is that there is no way for people to really know 
that it was supposed to be the joke until they've already decided whether it was good or not, right? Mm. And so the minute that they realize, oh, we were supposed to laugh was when the laugh wasn't there, right? Right. And so with, with music, even if you're, if you're in a bar and you're talking shit and you don't want that music to be on and you're yelling, you're actively yelling over the top of it, but then they stop playing and you still clap because you know they've got to the end of their thing and that's the polite thing to do. Whereas comedy, you can't retrofit that. You go, oh shit, that was the joke. You can't go, ah, very good for that moment ago that we didn't laugh. So instead what happens, everybody just sits there in silence and goes, oh fuck, can you get off the stage? Cause this is awkward. <laughs> I will say again, the very limited performing that I, that I ever did. Like I found that, because uh, again, as I said earlier, I laugh at people that bomb and in the limited time I did it, I certainly bombed probably more than I ever got a laugh. So not that I'm above that, but it's one thing to bomb when the audience is listening and just didn't think it's funny. It's another thing when you bomb and you look out and people are just like looking at their phone and like picking at their food. Like they're not even actually paying attention. And it's like, fuck, like that's a worse feeling because <laughs> it's like they don't even... They're not even paying enough attention to hear the punchline, even if it did work, right? Whereas with music, I don't think as a musician, you care if people are talking at the table. Like, it's okay for it to be in the background, and that doesn't mean that it's weird. Whereas with comedy, it's like, if you're not really, like, looking at me the whole time, it's kind of weird. Like, Yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> Gallows humor to the max here. My very first paid gig, right, um, was at a pub near my, where I went to high school. And it was with, it was a three, three bill act MC. I was the middle bracket person from TV was headlining. And it was what we call main bar comedy, which means there's no side room. It is like anybody at that pub is forced to watch comedy, whether they knew it was going to be on or not. Right. <laughs> um, which is always the best way to do comedy is just <laughs> yeah. force it upon people. It's such a weird fucking thing. Like you would not expect people to laugh if they were walking down the street and you said, stop. Okay. I'm going to tell jokes to you. Like you'd, you'd expect them to be annoyed. But for some reason we do main bar comedy and then we're surprised that people are like, oh, well, I just kind of wanted to eat my meal. So it was main bar comedy and it was on the day that the year 12s finished their last exam. So what had happened is they finished their exam at three, they went to the local bar at 3.30 and they had been at that bar from 3.30 till 7.30 when we kicked off. And then we kicked off to 120 very belligerent students who had just done their last exam and didn't know comedy was gonna happen, right? And so the MC quite literally was yelling over these people and not once did the conversation stop. This is my first paid gig. I'm like, yeah, I'm supporting a TV act. I'm getting paid. This is going to be so good. Yeah, I made it. Call the agent. Call the agent. <laughs> Tell Chris Rock I'm coming. Woo! Made it, right? <laughs> I don't stop talking. And the MC, quite literally, I still remember this in my, like, it's burned into my memory. The MC goes, and now we're going to introduce our first act. And then because nobody paid attention, he was bold enough to go, I'm really sorry, mate, in front of them. <laughs> and then he introduced me. <laughs> and I spoke to them for five minutes. 
And despite the fact that the room was amplified, they were still louder than me the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, I, the, the, the most uncomfortable experience I ever had was I went to, I, I was emceeing a weekly show Thursday, Friday, Saturday. They had a headliner and a feature act come in every week. And this week they had one of those like sex hypnotists that's not a comedian. They're just a hypnotist that convinces people to do lewd things on stage. I guess I don't know sold out like standing people could not even standing room like people are standing against the walls no one else can get in I mean it's probably still only like 150 people but for I'm in from nowhereville USA so for me it was like oh wow this is like packed <laughs> the MC or the the sound guy tells me to go on stage I get on stage start doing my act the microphone's not on which I I didn't know I get I get like halfway through my first or second joke and someone from the audience starts shouting, what are you talking about? We can't hear you. It's like, like, well, the people that are close heard me. So do I restart or, and I was just like, yeah, this is fucked. I just brought up the feature act and walked off. Like, yeah, let's just keep it moving. But it's just the, so now, you know, I work at, I work a day job and I'll be on a conference call or something and something embarrassing will happen. And people will be like, aren't you uncomfortable? And it's like, no, no, like I've, I've been far more embarrassed than any of this could ever make me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you people have no idea. (laughs) It does. It gives you a thicker skin because, (laughs) and also the nature of comedy is that people feel like they know you after it. So they will do and say, fucking anything and it's like we're not friends like i'm i'm flattered <laughs> that you feel like we are because that means i did my job but we're not right you wouldn't you wouldn't like there's most performers if you saw them do a really good job and then you saw them in the street straight afterwards you'd have a little bit of awe you'd be like oh my god that was so cool that was great you wouldn't be like I don't know. You wouldn't be like, here's my life story. Oh, you know how you told her about this? Well, I've got a hemorrhoid right now. Can you use that? <laughs> you know, you're not telling fucking, you're not telling Leonard Cohen about your goddamn hemorrhoid. Right. For some reason, comedians get that all the time. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I don't know if this is interesting or not. So if it's not, you can just say that and that's okay. But it, it's something I've thought about in recent years. You know, when I think of stand-up comedy, I think of like what you do, which is go on stage, tell jokes. Everything is built around the premise of you're trying to deliver jokes, right? And, and that sounds like a really obvious explanation. But the reason I say it is like, 
like a few years ago, Neil Brennan um, came out on Netflix with a special called Three Mics. Yes. And he does one mic is like one liners, one mic is story jokes. And then one mic is like just him telling stories about his depression and stuff. And I'm not trying to make fun of, I'm not making fun of mental health issues. And honestly, I thought it was a really, really awesome show. Like I thought it was super beautiful and really cool and a cool blend of like this vulnerability with comedy. Yeah. But at the same time, like it's not comedy. Like it's like, <laughs> it's like, like him talking about his depression, super valuable, super important. I love that people are more comfortable talking. And I, I mean, I talk a lot about mental health in the show, so I really do believe those things. I really do think it's cool, but it's not comedy or like at the end of Chappelle, I, I don't remember. It was when he came out with the three specials in a row on Netflix. And it was at the end of the second one, he did it in some really small club. And he, te- at the end of it, he tells this like 15 minute story about this pimp named iceberg slim and how he like, yeah. Did I won't even go into it, but did these really horrible things. And the point he's making is about how Hollywood works. And he's trying to explain through this story why he left the Chappelle show. And again, it's all really interesting. It's all really profound. I'm really glad I saw it. I don't wish it wasn't around. That's not fucking comedy, though. Like, it's not funny. <laughs> like, it's insightful, but it's not funny. Is that something that resonates with you at all? Or again, if that's not interesting because it's too nerdy, that's I- fine. I think that's interesting. I think it's nerdy. I just think I disagree. I, I mean, oh, I, 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 I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. But here's the thing, right? Again, I'm talking about Edinburgh Fringe, 5,000 performers, Melbourne International Comedy, 500, whatever. Everybody's doing a new hour every year. I, I think there is, as a performer and as an audience member, a lifespan of setup punch setup punch setup punch that there's only so much of it you can see there's only so much of it you can do there's only so long it's interesting and i think in both of those the Chappelle one in particular that last story is profound it doesn't have a punch but it's at the end of an hour of good comedy right it is, so it's it is. still it's still um i don't think how, how would I phrase this? I think in the day and age of memes and internet culture and everything is funny instantly and thrashed from all angles by people with A, an access to everything that's ever been on the internet and editing tools and stuff like that. Comedy almost by design has to get different. And whether that means it's more absurd or more personal or whatever, but it has to evolve because it's competing with different things. And so I think that's why you've seen stuff like Nanette and the Chappelle thing and, and three mics increasingly become the things that people talk about because they stand out. And, and, and the, the, where I draw the line is, is it comedy or is it not? Is like, if that person didn't have the comedic chops, if they didn't know how to write a joke and use a joke to relieve tension or buy the audience's time. If that, if you removed that element from the show, would it be interesting? And I think in the case of all three of those, despite the fact that the amount of jokes and how funny each of the jokes are is different in all three of those shows. The thing that remains true in all three is that if you took the comedy out of it, nobody would pay for it. That's a very valid point. That's a very valid point. Um, 
and again, it's not that I think, again, I'm not hating on the, either of the specials. Dave Chappelle's literally my favorite comedian of all time. Despite being from Nowhere Town, USA, I've actually seen him live twice, which is like crazy for me. <laughs> that is awesome. Um, so, and and again, I thought Neil Brennan's thing was brilliant. It's almost just like, it just kind of feels like if someone gets up on stage behind a microphone and talks, we just don't really have a good word to explain what that is. So we call it comedy, but it's like, that's true. You know what I mean? But again, true. I'm, I, I'm debating I, something that doesn't need to be debated. I get that. <laughs> no, but, but I, I, I get your point as well. And and it is it is a hard one because from a comedian's perspective and as somebody who has done one version and will likely do the other, what it would be helpful if there was a way to differentiate because you, you don't want audiences to come and see something that is different to what they expected and go, I guess I don't like comedy. No, comedy is diverse and it's interesting and it's lots of things and you don't like that, but maybe you like that. And that goes the other way as well. Like there are people who have, because as much as I try, everything is driven to a punchline, I'm also quite a storytelling comedian from start to finish. Like my show yeah. is is narrative driven and I am quite patient with getting to a punchline in a way that like, if I was to do a comedy club, particularly in the US, but even in the UK, people are like, come on, motherfucker, get to the jokes. I don't give a fuck about how you felt, right? Um, ah. And so I, I almost naturally fit more into the other one in the heads of comedy club audiences than, than, than prime. But anyway, I think my point is I've had people come to my shows and say, oh my God, I didn't realize comedy could be like that because they expected it to be you know, like 80s club comedy where it's like, and the thing about my wife is, <laughs> and like in their head, that's what stand-up comedy is. And they're like, I don't like comedy because I don't like that, you know? So right. it, it is diverse and they, 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 we do need a way to talk about that. But also the, the, the honest to God truth is comedians are such fucking narcissists. If you start putting terms like theater comedy and normal comedy, there'd be such fucking like elitism between it. So it's like, ah, figure it out. Right. Yeah, you, no. Also, YouTube exists. Watch a fucking YouTube clip of a comedian. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, honestly, that's how, you know, that's how like Nate Bergazzi now has Netflix specials year over year and has become, you know, world famous. But I discovered him on YouTube years ago before he was on Netflix and, and fell in love pretty much right away. So, um, yeah. To the point just being YouTube certainly does offer a, a bit of discoverability. Although I am curious, you know, for example, um, I had listened to your comedy album and then I also watched some random clip of you that I found on YouTube that was before yeah. the album. Yeah. And in it, it has a version of one of the jokes that's in the album but it's earlier, right? So it's not it's not as refined as what's on the album. And not that it wasn't still funny and it, it was still good, but it's it's more it's just tighter on the album, I guess. Oh, There's yeah, less words, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, um, yeah. It, it's phrased a bit differently. Do, do does it bother you that I mean again, I didn't care, but I'm not <laughs> your only audience, obviously. Does it bother you that people might see the unfinished work? In, in, on, on the internet like that? I mean, obviously, if they're in the club, that's in the moment, but the fact that it can be retroactively seen and maybe they see that and don't hear it on the album and then they think, oh, well, that's how that joke works. And it's like, well, really, that's not the finished product, you know? Yeah, I, 
I, I think there is only one clip like that that exists that people actually still find, which is the one at Liverpool Hot Water Comedy Club. I'm guessing yep. that's the one you saw. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, as, as you said, it's like as, as the joke was being worked out and that's just one of those clubs that um, part of the, the, the participation is that they, they chuck your clips on the internet. Um, I don't think... I don't think I'm at an a level of audience saturation that I can care about what it's maybe 15,000 people have seen that clip, maybe less. I, I haven't checked it in a while. Right. I, I've still got a lot of people to reach before I start worrying about the people who I lost from that. Um, and I think I, I, the only thing I think is that it's a bitch that SEO works in such a way that because they've got such a big channel, they outrank my own versions of my own content. Right. Um, but that that's like, what are you going to do? I'm sure there's a bunch of people who, who are out Googled for their own name in a much more meaningful way. Yeah, I, I have to, this is a weird thing for me to say probably because it's out of whatever. I'm telling you about you while I'm talking to you, but I, I think it's really interesting how, for lack of a better term, grounded a lot of your um, insights are. I mean, like when we talk about cancel culture and it's like, yeah, it's a thing, but like, you know, you've told a crass joke and didn't get canceled and Tucker Carlson hasn't been canceled. So clearly it's not just this sweeping thing. And it's easy to get caught up in the like, the drama of stuff. And it's like, yeah, but let's just actually step back and take a look at what we're really talking about here. And to your point about the clip, like, yeah, maybe that's a thing, but I mean, it just shows the idiot that I am. I found literally the one example of that, that we could have even talked about. But, but and to it your is... point, it's not like millions of people are now turned off or, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. what are the stakes really? That's a really valid point. Yeah, but also it's not that you are an idiot that found the one thing. It is a true <laughs> it is a true fact that if you Google my name, one of the first results, like the first video result, unfortunately, is not something that I've put out by myself, but something a club has put out. Um, right. And I mean, I think the thing that offends me most about that video is that I'm wearing a fucking blazer. I would never wear a blazer on stage now. <laughs> you got to look the uh, part though, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So is, you know, ultimately, do you think that stand-up is, is that, you know, if you could just be performing, and obviously things change and life changes, but at this point in time, do you see yourself like your dream is that you're just putting out our specials on Netflix and HBO or whatever the case may be, and you're, you're a comedian, or do you, do you aspire to get into writing or get into acting, whether it be TV or film or sketch comedy, you know, those kinds of things. Is any of that of interest or stand-up really the bag? That's a really good question. And I'm going to answer it in such a cop-out way. And that is this. I think even in terms of like, I would love to say like Netflix goals, just comedy as a living is what I'd like to do because I love performing stand-up more than any, I'm not interested in being an off uh, behind the scenes writer because there is something uncomparable about being able to have an idea and to think it's funny and have something you want to share and then to be the person who gets to share it and find out that the audience agree with you and think that's as interesting i i i genuinely think there's nothing better than that what i've increasingly found out since i've moved to to the uk is that i don't have the work ethic 
to grind to, to make that happen. As I, I, I mentioned uh, Ronnie at the top of the show. He's one of the hardest working people I've ever seen. And quite literally within like a couple years of starting comedy was going to quit and go back to law school. If He set himself a deadline. Like if I'm not making a living from it by now, I go back to law school because that's always what I can do, right? And I would never be that committed and that hard on myself and, and, and actually do all of the grinding. I can't turn comedy into a job. I just like it and I find it fun, but I can't work at it like I would a job. Um, and so in terms of like best case scenario, what I'd love to be able to do is kind of what I'm doing now, like do gigs around London, put on my shows, go to the festivals, do my shows, make a bit of money from that. Um, if I can use if i can use the podcast to get sell more tickets at the festivals and make a bit more money um if that helps me get more people over the podcast then that they start to be like a a self-sustaining thing and maybe i can get a little bit of money from the podcast and then my my day job has always been in creative as well so i'm, I'm a marketing strategist advertising copywriter and i think you know one of the beauties about that is I, i've got enough history in the bag for that, that if I was earning, if I was earning 50% of what I'm earning from my day job now through comedy and the podcast, I could easily earn another 50% freelance and give myself more time. So I'd only have to work half the time and the other half can go into the comedy right. and the podcast. And I think that's kind of, because for me, success has to be sustainable. It's not successful if, you know, you're a star for me, it wouldn't feel successful if I was a star that burnt brightly and then burnt out. And then all of a sudden I've quit my job and I can't replicate success and I'm, you know, uh, done with it. I, right. I need to be able to keep doing it. And so for me, I think that's probably what success would look like if I had a little enough here that I can ease off the day job um, and put more time back into it but not that it would be the 100% full-time thing. Because also I've seen, again, it's one of the things of performing for 10 years now, I've seen a bunch of people who get to the top and then that's actually not that long lived. And then they've spent 10 years building this career and they've got no fallback. And in your thirties, that's a really daunting position is to you know, leave the workforce for a couple of years because you're making decent money. Um, and then actually it's not enough to retire on and you've got to try and go back to the, in your like late thirties and, and, and be a new employee, a new startup. Um, so I'd like to avoid that if I could. Sure. Sure. Well, yeah. So you mentioned the podcast um, again, highbrow drivel is the name. Can you talk a little bit about, about what the podcast is about? What kind of topics you have? What kind of guests you have? Yeah, so that's, um, it's been a fun thing because I, I wouldn't have started if it wasn't for getting on stage being illegal and it's definitely opened up my eyes to the way that you can be creative and fun in a different way that doesn't also require driving three hours to perform. Um, yeah. So the comedy, uh, the podcast is called Highbrow Dribble. I interview a expert academic from a different field. It's just things that I'm interested in where I'm like, I know the world knows more about this subject than I know. And there's probably, oh, well, definitely an academic who's doing something cool there right now. And let's find out what they know. Um, and then to help me do that, 
I get a comedian friend in on the episode. And depending on the episode, sometimes they can be pretty serious most of the way. Um, sometimes they can be stupid most of the way. It all depends on the, the vibe. But I guess what we're hoping or what I'm hoping out of every episode is that like it is approached from a lighthearted and fun and curious position of like is what's absurd about this what don't we know what da, da, da. and then also actually i i do like learning for the sake of learning so i i do hope that i give the experts some space to share some stuff that we don't well most of us wouldn't know right right now that's awesome yeah it, it, it's it's super fun um and I think it's super cool that that you're you're doing a podcast kind of to to couple along with the, the comedy that you're doing. We also mentioned your comedy album that came out last spring, um, which is just called it's just your name, Anthony. You know, stand up comedy stand-up album, comedy right? Album, yeah. yeah, yeah. I told you, digital marketing strategy. Get all those searches. I learned <laughs> from the fucking Liverpool Comedy Club outranking me for my own name. I'm like, I got to get them back. Stand up <laughs> comedy. <laughs> well, it's available on on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, YouTube Music is where I listen to it, but it's out there, and I, I highly recommend people check it out. I don't know if this is offensive or something, and I don't mean for it to be at all. I mean it as a compliment, but I feel like you know you're you're obviously very a very humble person, but that comedy, and again, not that you need an attaboy from me, I'm just a, a fan, but. I think that comedy album is really good. And to me, it reminds me of when I found Nate Bergazzi's, I think it's called like full-time magic. Cause his dad was like a clown and then transitioned to become a full-time magician. Anyway, <laughs> super ridiculous. But, but like when I found that, like no one I knew knew who Nate Bergazzi was yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I feel like, Again, Ray, I said I don't know if this is offensive because I'm not trying to just compare you to another person directly like that. Obviously, you're your own person, but I don't know, man. I feel like maybe that's where you're at. Like I feel like 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 I've stumbled on to to you at the same place that Nate Bergazzi was a few years ago. Um, the the length of time that you've been doing it is not for nothing, and your comedy's really good. I mean, it's not Bill Cosby level of clean, right? Like, yes, there's some <laughs> crassness to it, or the opposite. Um, but yeah, but it's also not like, I mean, you know, not to compare you to the lowest form of comedian and open micer, but you know, we talked earlier about when new comedians struggling and it's like, man, I hated going to open mics. Cause it's just an hour of people telling really bad dick jokes. And it's like, yeah. it's not funny just cause you said penis, like, please stop, please. So yeah. your, your comedy also isn't like that at all. Like it's not crass for the sake of being crass. Yes. It has adult themes or something, but but it's also really earnest and it's, it's, it, 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 it's your own, you can tell that it's your own thoughts and your own experiences that you've built into it. And of course, you know, it's comedy. So I'm sure it's not a shot for shot recreation of your life or something, but um, I don't know, man, I think it's really cool. I think it's really inspiring. I think it's super cool to, to be able to talk to you. Um, anything else you wanted to talk about while we're here together this, this afternoon? No, I just want to say, I really appreciate that. That was so far from offensive. It's not funny. I, <laughs> I, I think that was really kind and I, I do appreciate it. It is, a, it is a funny thing in terms of like self-releasing the album because a lot of comedians, as you said, there, there is a risk of like not wanting to burn the, the material and not wanting it to not be funny and stuff like that. Um, and I think it was one of those things for me 
and it, it's again, it ties into stuff we've spoken about before as well in terms of cancer culture. It's one of those things where Louis CK is not cool to like anymore, but he did say some cool stuff about comedy, right? And one of the things that he said was the way he got good was release the album, burn it, and try harder to make it better. And so I was hoping to do that. And I guess that we'll find out how that goes in yeah. a couple of months when I'm back on stage. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. No, I'm, again, not that I've like made it myself or have any authority to speak from in any way, but I don't know. I, I believe in what you're doing. And I think, I think that, that it's only going up still. Um, and I'm super humbled that you were, you were willing to, to come on the show and, and share this hour here with me. Um, again, Highbrow Drivel is the name of the podcast. It's on all the podcast apps. Anthony's, you know, stand-up comedy album is available on all the music streaming apps. Um, you have a website, anthonyjuno.com. I'll have links to these things in the show notes. Is there anywhere else that you'd like for people to to find you or, or look for you or connect with you? No, you, you've, you've covered it. I think the, the website and the album and the, the podcast, uh, they're the things, man. I, I just want to say thanks again for having me. I've really enjoyed this conversation i think it's been it's been really fun and it's been really interesting so thank thanks for taking the time yeah man for sure well anthony joe thank you so much for your time man cheers take care
All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you so much again to Anthony Janot for stopping by. Again, his comedy album is Anthony Janot stand-up comedy album, and his podcast is Highbrow Drivel. I'll have links in the show notes to both. Also, I want to thank Misha Zarens for the music. And of course, last but not least, thank you, listener. I also want to encourage you to check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is co-hosted by me and Brett Lindley. Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about video games where we talk about why gaming matters. Pick Up Your Sticks is available on any podcast platform. Again, thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Stay up.